And we are rolling. This is Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast, and I am your host, Alex Painter. Thank you very much for electing to spend a little bit of your time with me today. Uh, We have a really cool show. Uh, This is the one that we actually voted on on Facebook, and so in a sense, the listeners, you all, actually determined what the show's topic is going to be. But of course, as always, a few thank yous. So again, thank you to you, the listener. Uh, the show is starting to catch on a little bit. I'm actually very proud to say, and it's really because of you all uh, liking, sharing, commenting, and it's been a real pleasure to get some feedback from some of you. So thank you again. And don't hesitate to like, comment, and share on this one as well, because this is a listener's choice episode, and we will have a number of those. So thank you again. Thank you to Joseph Rakish, whose song Canute Rockney serves as our theme song very well. You can hear the song, again, Knut Rockney by Joseph Rakish on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. Again, however you digest music, put it on your pregame playlist. As I mentioned, I know I sure do, and I listen to it before every single uh, Notre Dame football game. And speaking of, I don't want to date this episode too terribly much, but I wanted to throw a quick congratulations out to the boys in blue and gold for that 35-17 victory over the University of Louisville Cardinals Week 1. So we'll talk about that probably in a different forum, most likely on the Facebook page, which we'll talk about here in a second. It had some high points. It had some low points. There's a lot to kind of dig into, but I tell you what, it's always great to start the season 1-0 as opposed to the alternative, and that's where we are right now. So very exciting, very, very exciting. We got the season off, at least putting a, putting a notch in the win column. So congrats on the boys. I'm not really great at fantasy sports. I'm kind of... One of those people who might be like, you know, you might consider a sports know-it-all. Uh, but I've learned that I'm not great at fantasy sports. But, however, maybe I should start handicapping games. Uh, for those of you who might have watched the Onward to Victory pregame show, which I'm really proud to say that uh, the video had over 400 views to it. So hopefully some of you got a chance to see that. And for posterity, if you didn't, it's still out there on Facebook, on the Facebook page, which again, I'll give that address here in just a second. But again, bad at fantasy sports, or at least very average. But I did mention that I thought Louisville was going to cover the spread, and I predicted that the game would be 34-17. So I was just one point off. So uh, that was actually probably the greatest success of the weekend for me, is almost picking the exact score to the Notre Dame-Louisville game. But anyway, so back to the podcast. So we are on Apple Podcasts. So if you have an iPhone, just click that purple icon, go into the search box, put in Onward to Victory. You'll find me there. Uh, You can also search Notre Dame football. And we aren't quite at the top of that list. There's plenty of other good, fine Notre Dame football podcasts. But feel free to like and subscribe, I guess, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Throw out a rating. That would help out greatly. If you don't have an iPhone, feel free to download the Podbean app, where actually the the podcast is hosted. But if you're using a computer, it's onwardtovictory.podbean.com. If you want to visit HQ headquarters, it's facebook.com slash onwardtovictorypodcast. And if you just want to drop the show an email, it's onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com. And 
you know, I welcome any correspondence that I can have with anybody about the show, about Notre Dame football, about the past of Notre Dame football, the present or the future. So I relish the opportunity to communicate with all of you, any of you, about any of that. So that being said, I do have a very special thank you. Uh, Onward to Victory has our first consensus All-American. So our first Onward to Victory consensus All-American, and that is William from New Orleans. Told me, he shared with me that he was looking to learn more about Notre Dame because one of his sons is actually going through the college search process, and he kind of went to learn a little bit more about Notre Dame and kind of stumbled upon the podcast, but has really enjoyed it. And so, uh, William from New Orleans, I I very much thank you. I have the honor of being our first consensus All-American around here as someone who is sponsoring the show. So, I can't thank you enough. And he also said that his George, the George Gipp podcast episode was his favorite. And he said, what an amazing story. And it really shows how different the college football landscape was back then. So how about a shameless, uh, first of all, thank you again, William. It's so greatly appreciated and glad you enjoyed the George Gipp episode. That was one of my favorite ones to put together. But just how different was the college football landscape back then? Well, you could be an All-American like George Gipp and you wouldn't even have to have graduated from high school. So if you haven't had an opportunity to hear Charming Rogue, uh, the story of George Gipp, that was episode four. So feel free to jump on in and, and give that one a listen. It's great. But again, thank you, William. I really appreciate your contribution to the show, and I am so happy to hear that you're enjoying it. So if you would like to become a Onward to Victory Consensus All-American yourself, link is paypal.me slash Onward to Victory. Please leave your home address because I'll send you some swag if you decide to uh, donate monetarily to the show. And it could be anything that you have laying around. Every little bit helps and every bit goes directly back into the show. So that being said, this episode is the listener's choice episode. So we pitted two, two different ideas against each other here a couple weeks back. And that was either the story of Father Corby and the Irish Brigade. Father Corby was a president of the University of Notre Dame. And But before that, actually, he was the chaplain for the famed Irish Brigade for, who fought for the Union during the American Civil War. And then the other, the other category was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Father Ted Hesburgh. And there's a very famous photograph that has both of them kind of linked arm in arm during a civil rights uh, march. And so after about a week voting, actually MLK uh, and Father Ted were the runaway victors with I believe 71% of the votes. So that is going to be the focus for this episode. But first, we have a very, very special guest in the studio. And he's gonna talk a little bit about his past weekend and the weekend we have coming up. So I'd like to introduce the Onward to Victory listening audience to my son, Grayson Painter. Grayson, can you say hi? Hi. Get a little closer to the microphone so we can hear you. All right, perfect, perfect, right there. Not, no, not too close, but Grayson, how old are you? Six. So you're six years old. Did you just have, what just happened this past weekend? Um, my birthday. You had a birth, did you have a party? Yeah. Okay, good. So what was the theme for your birthday party? Um, um, Notre Dame. Notre Dame? Well, that sounds like a great party. Now, here's your first trivia question. Can you tell me what the mascot is for Notre Dame? It is the Fighting Irish. That's very good. And who is the biggest Notre Dame fan you know? Dad. <laughs> Thank you. That's very sweet of you. So what's your favorite sport? Um. Notre Dame's your favorite sport? That's not a sport. Yes, that's your favorite. That's your favorite team. So is it football, baseball, basketball? What's your favorite sport? Um, 
baseball. Okay, very good choice. We're big baseball fans around here. So we visited Notre Dame uh, with our mom and our sissies, right? You have twin sisters. So what's that like? That's really good because I have people to play with. Very, yeah. You know what? Dad comes from a big family, and I always had people to play with. So what's your favorite part about Notre Dame? Um, that they're the winners. That they're winners? Gosh, that's a really good answer. I couldn't agree more. So did you know, and you knew this, we're actually going to a Notre Dame football game. Yeah. next. What are you looking forward to? Um, look at the library. What's, what? Okay, what's on the library? You remember? Um, and it's, who's, who's on the library? Jesus. <laughs> it is Jesus. And it, what do you know what they call it on at Notre Dame's campus? No. Touchdown Jesus. Don't you remember? No. Oh, well, hey, well, what, what color is the dome? Do you remember? Um, golden. Yeah, it is a golden dome. Like the golden helmets. Like, exactly. Like the golden helmets. That's very good. So, are you going to be cheering for the Irish against uh, when they, we go up? Uh, yeah. We go up to the Seam? Yeah. You know what team they're playing? Um, no. That's okay. They're playing the New Mexico Lobos. So, this will be your first Notre Dame game. Are you excited, though? Yeah. Excellent. I'm excited for you. It's going to be Mom's first Notre Dame game, too. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Do you know me that Dad's been to? How much? This is my second Notre Dame game. What are you laughing about? Well, that's not very many. Second. Yeah, I've been to one more than you. Uh, Yeah, but you actually were not. You didn't do one when you were a kid. No, I didn't do. So that's where you are lucky. I didn't do one when I was a kid, but you get to do one when you were when you're a kid. Okay. Okay. All right, so tell us your name one more time. Grayson Painter. Very good, Grayson Painter. And so, and how old are you again? Re-remind us. Six. And you're going to your first Notre Dame game. So can you say, go Irish? Go Irish. All right, and we're going to jump into our story here next. Thank you for joining me, sir, Grayson. You're welcome. All right, bye-bye. As requested, I give you Father Ted and MLK Jr. So let's first focus on Father Ted. Start at the beginning. Theodore Martin Hesburgh was born on May 25, 1917 in Syracuse, New York to Theodore Bernard Hesburgh, a Pittsburgh plate glass warehouse manager, and Anne Murphy Hesburgh. His father was of German ancestry. His His mother's family was of Irish descent. The family had five children, and Theodore was the second oldest. Even as early as six years of age, young Theodore expressed his desire to become a priest. After graduating from high school, he enrolled at Holy Cross Seminary, located on the University of Notre Dame's campus in the fall of 1934. He showed so much promise that he and other young gifted seminarians were shipped across the pond to Italy, where he studied philosophy at the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome, graduating in 1940. Now, due to the outbreak of World War II, the American consul in Rome quickly ordered all American citizens to return to the United States, to which Hesburgh hastily complied. 
in June of 1943, Hesburgh was formally ordained a priest for the Congregation of Holy Cross at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart on Notre Dame's campus. You may know this place simply as the Basilica. Hesburgh had a singular focus. In fact, once, when he was asked what he would want written on his tombstone someday, Father Ted responded with one word, priest. And since he is now formally a priest in our story, I will speak about him in his preferred moniker of Father Ted. After graduating in 1945 with a doctorate in sacred philosophy from the Catholic University of America, based in Washington, D.C., Father Ted returned to Notre Dame, and he served as chaplain to the World War II veterans and taught religion to the undergraduate students. On campus, he actually founded the Notre Dame Veterans Club to help with the veterans of uh, transition to life at Notre Dame and away from the battlefronts of Europe, Africa, and in the Pacific. The following year, at age 32, Father Ted was appointed Executive Vice President of the University. His responsibilities included writing an administrative procedure and a job description for all of the other vice presidents, reorganizing the departments of athletics, academics, student affairs, finance, and public relations, as well as overseeing the construction of five new buildings and as well as a myriad of other assignments, giving him experience in many areas of administration. In essence, if you hadn't picked up on this, he was clearly being prepared to become president in many respects. And after having served this role for three years, he indeed was appointed president of the University of Notre Dame in 1952 at the age of 35. He immediately went about raising the academic profile of Notre Dame a reputation that is still enjoyed to this day and many of us are undoubtedly aware of. A year after becoming president, he established the Distinguished Professors Program, meant to attract top-flight academics from every subject area to the college, a program that flourished and is still present to this day. Hesburgh was a tireless worker during his time at Notre Dame. He essentially flipped many of the school's previous policies and, and long-observed institutions on their heads, and almost exclusively for the betterment of his beloved university. One of his famous quotes on leadership really spells out his resolve and steadfastness when making decisions, which was, quote, The very essence of leadership is that you have to have vision. You can't blow an uncertain trumpet. End quote. Hesburgh was always a champion of the people, particularly those who were poor or disenfranchised. In 1958, he was quoted saying, quote, We in America will sleep uneasily in our beauty rest mattresses if we remember that a third of humankind has gone to bed hungry. Later in his career, he was quoted saying, quote, there are few sights more heartrending than human beings without food or drink. One understands, in seeing them, the premium the good Lord placed on feeding the hungry and giving drink to the thirsty. 
His voice was heard with utmost respect and admiration on his campus, but his voice's volume was growing louder in another circle as well. The burgeoning civil rights movement. In 1957, President Dwight D. Eisenhower created the Civil Rights Commission. The commission itself was created to help terminate a filibuster amongst southern states who were attempting to block civil rights legislation, such as expanded voting rights, from being passed and becoming law. In fact, there were entire counties that were predominantly African American in the South that turned up at the polls to vote and were turned away due to nuances within the laws, the Jim Crow laws. Ike chose Father Ted for his new team. The committee, upon meeting in Alabama, found it difficult to even find lodging to accommodate them, as several commissioners were black. They were actually turned away when a federal judge determined that the committee itself for civil rights was unconstitutional. Naturally and thankfully, this was later overturned. But not to be deterred, Father Ted offered a change of venue for the commission, Notre Dame's research site in Land Lakes, Wisconsin. Secluded and able to think and collaborate effectively, they were able to forge 16 recommendations for Congress. Voting rights were covered extensively, as well as employment, housing, education, administration of justice, and public accommodation. These recommendations form the nucleus of the famous Civil Rights Act of 1964, which was designed to end segregation in America once and for all. Now, flipping to our other subject, Martin Luther King Jr. King was born on January 15, 1929, in Atlanta, Georgia, to the Reverend Martin Luther King Sr. and Alberta Williams King. As a youngster growing up in Atlanta, King attended Booker T. Washington High School. He quickly became known across the school for his academic prowess, as well as his oratorical skills, and was part of the school's debate team. During his junior year, he won first prize in a speech contest sponsored by a local Negro Elks club. Now on the ride home to Atlanta by bus, he and his teacher were ordered by the driver to stand so that white passengers could sit down. King initially refused, but complied after his teacher told him that he would be breaking the law if he did not submit. Afterwards, when recalling the incident, King said that he was, quote, the angriest I have ever been in my life, end quote. The event would stick with him his entire life. Ultimately, again, due to his academic prowess, he was permitted to skip both 9th and the 12th grades of high school. Being a little bit on the young side, at age 15, he entered Morehouse College, a historically black college in his hometown. And he was able to gain entrance at such a young age uh, due to World War II depleting Morehouse's student ranks. The utterly brilliant King graduated in 1948 at 19 years of age with a bachelor's in sociology. Like Hesburgh, he entered the seminary after high school. Raised Baptist, he decided his best fit seminary was the Crozier Theological Seminary located in Chester, Pennsylvania. 
He married his wife, Coretta Scott, in 1953. And in 1954, King was called to serve as pastor for the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, at the tender age of 25. The civil rights struggle against the racially charged Jim Crow laws would land very close to King shortly after his taking over as pastor. As mentioned earlier, the Jim Crow laws were often local laws and mostly based in the South that legalized segregation between whites and blacks. But in March of 1955, a 15-year-old black schoolgirl in Montgomery refused to give up her bus seat to a white man, which was a direct violation of the aforementioned Jim Crow laws. King was actually on the committee for the Birmingham African-American community that looked into the case. A few months later, on December 1, 1955, Rosa Parks was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on a city bus. Now, these two events caused the Montgomery bus boycotts, which was spearheaded by King and his fellow activists. All told, the boycott lasted for 385 tense days. And in fact, the situation did indeed become so tense that King's house was bombed during the boycott. And though King was arrested during the ordeal, eventually a federal court ruled against the segregation of the Montgomery public transportation system, scoring King his first public victory. In 1957, King and other leaders founded the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, or the SCLC. The group's aim was to unify the black Southern churches in the fight against racial discrimination. King was actually named the first president of the organization. King was a master planner, and though he utilized nonviolent means such as silent demonstrations, marches, and sit-ins, he was jailed on a fairly consistent basis, as were his fellow activists. The generally peaceful civil rights demonstrations were regularly met with high-powered hoses, dogs, and heavy law enforcement attachments. When King was arrested for the 13th time in 1963, he penned his famous Letter from the Birmingham Jail, which re-emphasized his call for social change through legal channels and nonviolent means. In August of 1963, King and between 200 and 300,000 people marched on Washington for jobs and economic equality. It is here that he delivered his uber-famous I Have a Dream speech. Fast-forwarding 10 months, on a late spring day in 1964, our characters collide. Father Ted Hesburgh answered the phone with an invitation. Martin Luther King Jr.'s crusade had moved north to Chicago, and a massive rally was being planned on June 21st at Soldier Field, where the Chicago Bears play. The caller told Hesburgh that Mayor Richard Daley and many, many Catholic Church officials had turned down invitations to the rally. Now, Hesburgh, who had dedicated much of the previous decade to the civil rights movement in a very formal fashion, answered definitively that he would be there. On the day of the rally, Hesburgh was mingling in the crowd when one of King's staffers spotted him. Shortly thereafter, he was hoisted on stage where 
He gave an impromptu speech to the nearly 57,000 people on hand. He endorsed the Civil Rights Act, which featured much of his and the Civil Rights Commission's work, and at that point was just waiting for President Lyndon B. Johnson's signature. He said, quote, Be proud to be a Negro. We want to strive for dignity with you. End quote. And at that point, Martin Luther King Jr. and Father Ted Hesburgh linked hands and led the assembly in song, We Shall Overcome, which was the anthem for the civil rights movement. Some of you may know it as it was recorded by both Pete Seeger and Joan Baez, but here's an excerpt. I'm not going to sing it. I will read it, though. We shall overcome someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome someday. We'll walk hand in hand someday. Oh, deep in my heart, we shall live in peace. We shall live in peace someday. Oh, deep in my heart, we shall all be free. We shall all be free someday. Oh, deep in my heart, we are not afraid. We are not afraid today. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome someday. An unnamed photographer snapped the picture of the two, arms linked and in song. The image is famous. And it is more than a mild surprise that the photographer never stepped forward for credit. Either way, Hesburgh always stood tall among any of his peers. And as civil rights leader Andrew Young put in a tribute to Father Ted, if, quote, Father Hesburgh was for you, you didn't care who was against you, end quote. Father Ted would serve on the Civil Rights Commission until 1972, leaving amid a dispute with the Nixon administration. And he would serve as Notre Dame's president until 1987. That was the same year that the campus's Memorial Library was renamed Hesburgh Library in his honor. Yes, the one library which faces the football field with the massive Word of Life mural. You may know it as Touchdown Jesus. You know, the one recognizable to six-year-old Grayson Painter. Father Ted still holds the record for honorary degrees with over 150. Now, Father Ted died on February 26, 2015, at the age of 97. Talk about a full life. And as fates would have it, I was actually in South Bend the day after Father Ted died, and... I was there uh, on work, uh, on a work endeavor, but I had a sibling with me, and he would certainly agree that it's almost eerie. I've never lived in a community where you could feel the mourning from an entire city. I think the closest I will ever be to that feeling, not that that's a feeling you want, but the closest I'll ever be to, to feeling that is being in South Bend, Indiana the day after Father Ted died. Again, died February 26, 2015 at age 97. Unfortunately, Dr. Martin Luther King did not have that same opportunity to live a full life. He was cut down by an assassin's bullet on April 4, 1968, less than four years after our photograph was taken. 
Now, the next time you visit South Bend, visit the MLK Jr. and Father Ted statue, newly unveiled in 2016. Their iconic moment together, being joined hand-in-hand to fight the societal ills of the day, is forever immortalized in downtown South Bend. Talk about two wonderful men. We'll be right back. And I can't hardly believe it, but that'll about wrap up episode six. So thank you so very much for, again, electing to spend a little bit of time with me. I really, really hope you enjoyed that because after all, you picked it. So if you didn't, let me know. Um, And no worries. For those of you who actually voted for Father Corby and the Irish Brigade, that one is coming down the pike, I promise you. But we'll have some more listener engagement opportunities here really soon. So don't hesitate to send the show a message. Send the show an email. Uh, please interact however you best see fit. So I really hope you enjoyed meeting my little man, Grayson. Um, I am uh, very excited for his first Notre Dame game, and as I mentioned, my second one. So I'll probably be sharing some information and some pictures and video and all of that from uh, South Bend here very soon. Please look on the Facebook page, and if you haven't liked the Facebook page, please go facebook.com slash onward to victory. I'll be doing something of a pregame show before the next game, so kind of sharing insights, analysis, uh, as well as kind of a debrief from the Louisville game. But sincerely, thank you all again. I, I hope you have enjoyed this. My goal is to try to make this as listener-centered and listener-friendly as possible. So if I'm failing to uphold that, please let me know. You know, I want this to be a forum and an environment where we can all be very passionate and positive Notre Dame fans. And because I guess if I've learned one thing in my 32 years of life, and that is really that passion is the spice of life. And it's something that I try to uphold myself. And hopefully you detect that. I really love what I'm doing here. So as long as I still have a listening audience, I'll continue doing it. I might even continue doing it without a listening audience. But uh, I guess my whole my whole point there is I appreciate all of you for being part of the Onward to Victory community. Sincerely, please interact with me in any way that you'd like. This is kind of a one-man shop. So it's really just me doing all the research, all the writing, all the recording, all the promoting, all of that. So anything that I end up getting back from you, any feedback, is uh, really, really special. So uh, don't hesitate to do so. So anyways, moving forward here, we have a 1-0 football team, and we are eagerly awaiting the next football game. It's September 14th. It's going to be a 2.30 kickoff at Notre Dame Stadium. We are facing the University of New Mexico, the Lobos. And I tell you, I'm, I'm, ready. I'm chomping at the bit for that football game. I'm ready to see our boys back in action. So, so in the meantime, this has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And I'm your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go Irish.